bringing you the truth behind the news. Welcome to The New American. Welcome, everyone. I'm Paul Dragu. We're glad you can join us. Our children are under assault, and one of the most effective ways the enemies are targeting them is through government schools. Later in the show, TNA senior editor Rebecca Terrell interviews the director of Purple for Parents, Rhonda Miller. Rhonda discusses how porn is entrenched in school curricula for the purpose of grooming children. And she's also going to discuss school-based medical clinics, which are part of the Safer Communities Act. This is all very disturbing stuff, but we're bringing attention to it so you can take action like Rhonda did. We have all that coming up. But first, we have something else that you need to know about. South Dakota has been at the center of a major battle over carbon capture pipelines. Private companies like Summit Carbon Solutions, funded in part, in large part, by government subsidies, have threatened landowners who don't want the pipelines to go through their property with eminent domain. They've also filed several lawsuits against citizens and local governments. Governments. In response, South Dakotans have organized to oppose and defeat carbon capture pipelines. And for a bit, things were looking almost promising. One of the pipeline companies, Navigator, left the state because the resistance proved too much. The remaining company, Summit, publicly said that if the laws remained as they are, they too would have to leave the state. But instead of packing their bags, Summit has set out to change the laws. And now things are looking pretty grim. We at The New American have been on top of the story from the beginning. And joining us to talk about what's happening in South Dakota is local landowner Ed Fishbach. Welcome, Ed. Thanks. Glad to be with you. So, Ed, um, I understand that the biggest threat, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the biggest threat right now is this Senate Bill 201. Uh, if I get, if I understand things correctly, it, it was introduced, I believe, last week. It's been debated ever since. And now it's looking, uh, things, are, like I said, are looking pretty grim. Can you explain what this bill does and where it is and what chance there is of doing anything to stop it? Well, what the bill does is it strips all the local control from our counties and our townships in the state that had ordinance in place to uh, protect their citizens against this carbon capture pipeline going through, put restrictions on it. And uh, when the company Summit Carbon Solutions applied for a permit last September, it was denied by our Public Service Commission, Public Utilities Commission here in South Dakota, which is made up of three elected members. And so therefore, they didn't like that decision. The project should have been done and should have been over with. Instead, they went after us in the legislature right now. And this is why we have Senate Bill 201. What it does is strip, it's trying to preempt those ordinances that the counties and our townships have adopted so they can have free reign basically to just come through wherever they want now with their route. It's making its way through our legislature. It's passed both houses. It's going to a conference committee uh, Monday. So, uh, it's, we're in real danger here of having our rights taken away. And it's going to hit the governor's desk probably sometime next week. And she's given all indications that she would sign it. Um, I, is, is it true that 91 of 96 counties actually support these, these uh, I mean, oppose these carbon capture pipelines? Do you know well, that? In, I, in South Dakota, we only have 66 counties. But I can tell you this. Uh in a 24-hour period, the day before the bill was supposed to come up, we sent out a petition all over the state for people to sign and oppose the bill. And within 24 hours, we had 2,000 signatures on the bill. And uh, so, and we had signatures in every county of the state. 
And yet the legislature chose to ignore those and go ahead and pass the bill on a, came out of the house, the last body on a 40 to 30 vote. Uh, last week, it came out of the Senate on a 23 to 11 vote in favor of the bill. So we're up against a real um, juggernaut here. This company summit has been flooding our legislator with paid lobbyists. I think they have up to 13 just by themselves. And they have a lot of the, our other utility companies lobbying on their behalf. They've also brought in all the lobbyists from in South Dakota. We have a real strong ethanol uh, uh, economy here where they take in corn and make ethanol out of it. Uh, so all those ethanol companies who stand to gain from this are providing lobbyists too. So we're really up against a juggernaut here of uh, foreign actually foreign backed influence out of state companies coming in here and trying to change our laws that are 135 years old that is and now they want to change it to benefit one company who didn't get what they wanted now is is the resistance from the landowners is it as as widespread and as large as it sounds or is it a couple of loud uh squeakers like you guys (laughs) we get called that all the time but we kind of chuckle about that because one of the ethanol companies, if I could just read, they sent out an internal memo. What they were doing to counter our uh, presence there, they're actually uh, chartering buses. And then they were ordering people to go cleaning up, taking all their employees and everything from all these plants. And what they did, they provided transportation, a T-shirt, buttons, lunch. They even paid people for their day's work to get people to go there and testify in support of this bill. And it was kind of interesting because their internal memo, the first statement, it said the ethanol industry is constantly being outnumbered by the vocal minority trying to stop Summit from providing a future for our industry in South Dakota. I found that a little, un, you know, a little uh, concerning to me to begin with because if they're constantly constantly being outnumbered, how can they call us a vocal minority? Right. Well, what 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 is your guys's main uh, opposition to it? What's your problem with these things? If if they're going to bring all this money to the economy, what is the opposition of the landowners? Well, there's three main things. Uh, the number one is like you stressed earlier, eminent domain for private gain. This is they're trying to use eminent domain on people for, to benefit a private individual and private company. It's not for any public good whatsoever. We support eminent domain for public good for you know, interstate highways, transmission lines, rural water systems, things like this. But this benefits nobody. This product, CO2, is going to be taken out of these ethanol plants and transported into a pipe 2,000 miles, and it's going to be shipped up into North Dakota and buried underground, permanently sequestered. And here comes the second reason we're opposed to it, because they're going to benefit and get paid by us taxpayers, me and you, uh, $85 a ton for this, uh, that came out under the Inflation Reduction Act. And so that's what this whole thing is about, is about a federal subsidy. If it wasn't for that, we wouldn't even be talking about these things. And then the third reason is the safety of this thing. Uh, carbon dioxide in the supercritical stage that they have to put this in a pipe to get it to flow is highly toxic. It's an asphyxiant. And if it ruptures and you're within about a 1,850 feet of an 8-inch line, you've got eight seconds or you're going to be dead. And yeah. this is... They actually had a rupture in Mississippi uh, about three years ago that sickened a lot of people. And just luckily, it happened in the daytime and no one died. But 47 people ended up in a hospital. Right. Well, now they say that the pipes are thicker and they've and they've addressed those issues. That's I guess cause that's what they tell you guys in those hearing. As a farmer, what do you make of uh, of the argument that this whole thing is based on the argument that carbon dioxide 
is a pollutant. It's, it's, it's toxic. But my understanding is that, and I've talked to other farmers who believe this as well, and that's, that, that's not the, the case, that this is, in a way, is plant food. As a farmer, do you, where do you stand on that? Well, it is a plant food. We need that for plants to grow. Now, I don't know how much is necessary. I'm not a scientist or an expert about that, but there are many uses other than this for carbon dioxide. Um, you know, we have packing plants here in the state. We have a turkey processing plant not too far south of me here. They use carbon dioxide to euthanize the animals, the turkeys in the plant. Um, that's how dangerous it is if human beings are around. There's other uses for the carbon dioxide. I mean, simple carbon dioxide, you see it in uh, soda pop, uh, you see it in dry ice, things like that. But this is in a different state. They have to put it in a supercritical state under extremely high pressure and heat it to make it a liquid to get it to flow through the pipe. And that's what makes it so dangerous. Right. Wow. Um, now, I, I wonder, tell us about the signatures of, uh, that the GOP gathered opposing this bill that you presented to legislators. Do we understand correctly that there was a legislator on the floor who actually said that it didn't matter to him? Uh, is that true? And what was his name? That, that was incredible when I heard that. And by the way, it happened to be the, uh, the House Minority Leader who spoke toward the end. And he got up and referred to the petitions that we'd handed in. And he said, I don't care how many signatures I got. That's basically what he said. Wow. Wow. So uh, is, is, he, um, do we, is there any indication that these you have mentioned that these guys are busing folks in and whatnot. Uh, we're going to have to continue this conversation on the other side. But what I want to hear about, if there's any indication that some of these are people are being lobbied, they're being paid, uh, or any, anything else like that. We'll be right back to, to continue that conversation. If Americans want to remain a free and sovereign nation, more people need to understand the principles and values that built this great nation. At the John Birch Society, we have the organization, the plan and the resources to do just that. Our founder, Robert Welch, said, education is our total strategy and truth our only weapon. Go to jbs.org to learn more, including how you can get involved to work locally and impact nationally. Join the John Birch Society today. The New American has just released our latest bookazine, a collection of articles on self-reliance. It's called Self-Reliance, Foundation of Freedom. Without individual responsibility and without the ability to take care of ourselves without government help, we cannot be free. In this Polish Collector's Edition, we have articles on a number of important topics, including the self-sufficiency of the founders, preparing for a worst-case scenario, firearm self-reliance, building a wood shack, and the importance of community, among many other topics. Now, the authors of the articles are experts in their fields. We encourage you to get a copy. You can order your copy at thenewamerican.com forward slash shop, or you can call our office at 800-727-8783. However you do it, make sure you get your copy of Self-Reliance, The Foundation of Freedom. All right, so we're back with Ed Fishbach from South Dakota, and we are discussing uh, carbon capture pipeline legislation. Uh, things are looking pretty uh, pretty grim right now. So we've been discussing SB 201. But uh, we're also going to talk about uh, suspicions, I would guess, or maybe allegations or thoughts that perhaps some of these legislators who are pushing this are, are being bought off or, or schmoozed and moved in one way or another. Can you tell us a little bit about that, Ed? 
I sure can. And it's we have the campaign finance reports that they filed for their last election. And the leaders in the in the Senate, the sponsor of this bill, it reads like a who's who of all these industry. Um, the people that are against us, the law firm from Summit Carbon Solutions is a donor to his. The company itself is a donor. The South Dakota ethanol producers is a donor. We have the Chambers of Commerce, both in the state and in our largest city, Sioux Falls is one of the donors. Uh, and it's just, these companies are donors to all of these leaders. And uh, so it's pretty easily shown why they're voting the way they are. And by the way, Summit Carbon Solutions was a major contributor to Governor Kristi Noem's uh, inaugural uh, after she won the last election. They put up over $10,000 for her inaugural celebration. So they've got their uh, claws into just about every one of our leading legislators in the state of South Dakota. Okay, so that that probably answers my next question is that the governor is almost certainly likely to um, to sign this into into law. Is there anything at this point? I mean, it's it's Friday. You said that it's going to a conference. Uh, did, did you say that? Is, is, so where is this bill now? Is It's going to a conference on Monday. Uh, and what can people who are listening, especially obviously South Dakotans, do? Well, that's the problem. There's not a lot, lot more that we can do about it because when it goes to conference, uh, the two leaders, both from the House and the Senate, will appoint three people from each body and they go into a room and they basically scrub the whole bill. They can come up with a whole new bill and there's no public input into that bill. And whatever they come up with, they have to agree to and they send it back out to both bodies and then they'll have a vote. If the emergency clause is not in, all it takes is a majority vote in both the Senate and the House again, which they've already gotten, and then it'll go to the governor's desk. It could be, turn out to be something even worse than what it already is, and that's our biggest fear. What about some other bills? I hear that there's other bills going around, and they're supposed to kind of uh, uh, tide you guys over, you know, make you feel good about some of this stuff. What do you make of those, and, and are any of those what they are presented to be? Yeah, they were presented as the so-called compromise bills. Um, and just yesterday, they went before the Senate, the House had already passed them out, both of them. Basically, the Senate leaders who are pushing for or are advocating for summit, they gutted them. They pretty much gutted them and they put it back in and made them really bad again. One of them specifically, because when people are signing easements with this company, they're perpetual easements. And in those easements, some of the terms are so uh, egregious that they are that the company is allowed to sell or don't or gift it or mortgage it to any other company. They so you never even have control of who you're signing the easement over to. You lose control of your land. Well, in this one bill, uh, House Bill eleven eighty six, we had a compromise in there that the easement instead of being perpetual, it would only be for fifty years. Well, yesterday, the Senate, when they got it, they took that back out. They gutted it, and now it's back to, to a perpetual easement. So the bills that, even though they may have had a couple of good things in them, our Senate leadership, who is on the take with Summit, is basically gutting everything, and they're putting it, writing the basically the rules for Summit. Now, have you always been involved? I mean, have you always paid attention to what's going through the legislature like you are now? No, not really. This is... You know, maybe 40 years ago, I was involved in something. I haven't been back there until the last two years Yeah, and since this project came and it got me involved. I mean, it, when it directly affected me and I just saw that it was this whole thing is a boondoggle, in my opinion. And I just got involved and started organizing community uh, meetings with my neighbors 
and we hired legal counsel to defend us, and it's taken off from there. You said you were affected. Uh, are they planning to run this through your property as well? They were originally right through my home place and across the road from me. Uh, without me requesting it, They, I think because I raised so much stink with them, basically, they did move it. They moved it about three quarters of a mile east of me on some other neighbors. But I always had the philosophy, if it wasn't good for me, I surely wouldn't wish it on my neighbors and they don't want it either. And so I'm still fighting. It's still up against my property in a couple of places, right up against the border of it, but it doesn't actually cross it right now. Mm-hmm. But if this bill goes through 201, it gives them free reign to go back to the original route. They can design a route wherever they want to go now. It basically takes any restrictions away from this company and they can just do, they can just run roughshod over us anywhere they want. Yeah. And it sounds like that's that's where it's heading. How many people are like you, Ed? You know, you've been kind of laying low. You've been enjoying the good American life for for years, for decades. And then this happens because I, my understanding is in South Dakota, this is probably the hottest topic at the ca- at the Capitol. And, you know, maybe from afar off, it seems kind of strange. Like, what, what are these people hollering about? But uh, has this awakened the people of South Dakota? It sure has. We've actually had two rallies out at our capital. We had one last July, and I think we had 700 people there that we rallied in the Capitol steps. And the day before the session this year, we held another rally in the middle of an extreme blizzard out here where half the state could had no travel advisory, and we it was too hard, late to cancel it. I think we ended up with 250 people there that day. And so we get tremendous crowds wherever we have meetings. This has really stirred up people all over the eastern half of the state where this thing is going through um every time i go to a meeting the meetings are packed with people opposed to this thing right the nice I mean, thing about it's a nonpartisan issue we get people from all walks of life and all political affiliations that are opposed to this thing in our coalition and that's a good thing we're all working together for the same reason well would you say that's maybe the silver lining that now people are awake and you realize i mean i imagine as a landowner uh, you realize that if you don't have access, if you cannot control your property, you you really your your freedom is 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 in real jeopardy. There, I'd imagine. It really is. This is a definite restriction, and it's if it's not you today, it's going to be you tomorrow. If this thing passes, which it looks like it's going to, this is what they're attempting to do all over, and it could affect you uh, if it's not on a carbon dioxide pipeline. It can affect. If the counties don't have control in the townships anymore, they could put anything through this state anywhere they want. It could be a solar pa- a farm, a wind farm, you name it. Yeah. Uh, it could be a CAFO, whatever. I mean, there is absolutely nothing to stop anymore. And the sad part of it is they're doing it all just for one particular company because they did not get their way and had their permit denied. And they just will not accept it and they won't go away. Yeah. Now, we have a, a, a minute left here. How come it doesn't bother uh, we, it's well known that, like, I, I don't know, I remember if we mentioned this in the broadcast, but China, there's China backing in this. I know there were some investigators from North Dakota. I'm not sure there were any from South Dakota. How come this doesn't bother any of these legislators? It Follow the money. There's so much money. There's billions behind this company and these legislators, that's all they see. They're blinded by the money. Yeah, there's China interest in this. We have a lobbyist here in South Dakota for Saudi Arabia. That's a chief lobbyist for Summit. Uh, 10% of the company is owned by a South Korean investors and firms. And those people have been convicted of defrauding our US Defense Department and been fined over $70 million. 
they've been convicted of multiple felonies, but that's who's coming in behind this company. They have 464 investors involved with them. We've asked for the last three years to disclose who their investors are, and they continue to refuse to do that. Wow. Wow. Well, we, we wish you the best. We're going to do what we can here on our end. We'll have legislative alerts, but like you said, it's, it's looking dire. Thank you, Ed Fishbach from South Dakota. After this, Rebecca Terrell talks to Rhonda Miller about the latest efforts to use government schools in the grooming of America's future generations. Self-reliance. It's not a phrase we hear much in our culture these days. It might conjure up images of pioneers, the West, rifles, strapping men, and strong women. But what does it mean for us in today's world? The New American Magazine has just released its latest collector's edition, Self-Reliance, Foundation of Freedom. In it, the New American authors outline the necessity of self-reliance for a free people, tips for self-reliant living, and the importance of not giving up hope. This unique edition includes articles on the self-sufficiency of the founders, preparing for a worst-case scenario, firearms, financial self-reliance, the importance of community, and many other topics by expert writers. Now, for a limited time, The New American is offering a bundle of three collector's editions, Self-Reliance, The Great Reset, and Trump World, for just $19.95. A great stocking stuffer, available at shopjbs.org. Visit shopjbs.org today. For more news and in-depth analysis from The New American Magazine, the kind that you will not get anywhere else, make sure you have a subscription to our twice-monthly print edition of the magazine. No other magazine has been as accurate and for as long about where policy and culture were heading than The New American. You can subscribe online at thenewamerican.com. Just hit the magazine tab on top and then on the drop down, hit the subscribe button. Or if you prefer, you can call for a subscription. Call 1-800-727-8783 Monday through Friday from 8 to 5 Central Time. That's 800-727-8783. Rhonda Miller is the director of Purple for Parents. In this interview with TNA senior editor Rebecca Terrell, Rhonda reveals what she's learned about the government's latest efforts to pervert America's children. Here is the interview. Hello, everyone. I'm Rebecca Terrell with The New American Magazine. And with me today is Rhonda Miller, who is director of Purple for Parents of Indiana. She's also a field coordinator for the John Birch Society. And she has been just doing an incredible amount of work and research uncovering all of the sexual grooming of our children in public schools. Rhonda, thank you so much for taking the time from what I'm sure is a very busy schedule for you. Yeah, thanks for having me, Rebecca. It's an honor to be here. Yeah, I, I um, have been delving into what Purple for Parents of Indiana is doing. I know your organization started actually in Arizona as a response to the radical teachers unions and their um, Red for Ed movement. Um, so Purple for Parents, that explains the the kind of funny name, but I like it. I, I love that name. And um, we do, you know, purple is the, is the color traditionally of not only royalty, but um, because it became the color of royalty because it is actually the penitential color. You're supposed to sacrifice yourself for others. So I like that you, that you have that as your name. Let's talk about what you're doing there. Let's just delve right in because this isn't just about dirty books in the school library. 
No, it's not. Um, the dirty books are just a final sign of what we've been actually dealing with in our society for decades. Um, Indiana is home to uh, the Kinsey Institute, founded by Alfred Kinsey on the Indiana University campus. And um, when people understand that, they understand the historical context of why we're dealing with pornography in the schools. It derives from the Institute itself. Um, Hugh Hefner is, uh, was, uh, had read Kinsey's book and decided he was going to become Kinsey's pamphleteer. And that's how Playboy started. And then Playboy then found the seed money for, or gave the seed money for CECAS, the Sex Information Education Council of the U.S. And that is what's pushing all of this nasty material and this pornography into the schools under sex education. And is CECAS is not affiliated with the federal government directly, right? But no. all of all of these things are getting federal money now, right? And state money too. Yeah, that we found CECAS uh, through their website in 2017, 2018. They were pushing a lot of federal grant money into our different counties in Indiana um, to promote some of these uh, nasty curriculum, sex ed curriculum that coincide with a lot of pornographic content. So, um, yes, there's a lot of tax dollars involved in this, although CECAS... Uh, started out with private money through Hugh Hefner, um, who gave the money to a former medical director, Mary Calderon, from uh, Planned Parenthood. And so there's a lot of Planned Parenthood connections into these programs and the pornography. In fact, there's a video um, that we've clipped that talks that has uh, CECAS members talking about how pornography is a, a great idea in order to teach children um, all, all things sexual. So it's, it's disgusting, um, but these books are just a, a tip of the iceberg of what's really happening inside the schools. Right, because there's a comprehensive plan. I know on the from the climate change end, they have a comprehensive plan to put climate change into every single subject, even mathematics. You know, have word problems based on the terrors of climate change. You know, and what what they're doing is just fomenting this fear, 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 fear in children. And at the other the other end of the spectrum, they're uh, you know question your gender, question your gender. You might not be a girl. You might not be a boy. What do you think you are? You you can make up your own. Uh, your own fantasy. And, and then the teachers, if the teachers don't acknowledge it, they get fired. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, um, it's interesting when you go back and look historically, and not too many people know this, is that uh, Indiana is home to Lilly Pharmaceutical. Well, Lilly Endowment Wing um, actually paid a radical through the school comprehensive uh, counseling initiative to bring her back here and train all of our schools on how to implement all of this radical gender ideology. Um, and it's, it's a collaboration with American School Counselors Association, their position statements. So when you go and look at those, um, it's really alarming as to the details of how the schools were supposed to open up the bathrooms, locker rooms, pronoun usage, and uh, coincided with keeping it from the parents. So what we're seeing right now is, like I said, just the tip of the iceberg. And I've heard you talk about COVID and the COVID lockdowns. What did they, what role did they play in your journey? Well, essentially during COVID, I, I, it was the blessing that came out of it was the parents are waking up. The kids were home. The parents were discovering what their kids were actually being taught, all this perversion. And so um, that is the one great thing that did come out of COVID is that parents were waking up and realizing there's something more going on with education than one they ever thought. So we've been trying to build on that momentum and help them understand the greater agenda at work in order to destroy their family, in order to destroy their children. It's all about breaking down our moral fabric of our society in order to uh, reinvent the wheel for the great reset, as they call it. Right. So your work in Indiana is not just exclusive to Indiana. It really applies to all. Let's talk about that legislation because 
you know, there are some, there are parents who have brought some of this material that their children are getting at school and they brought them to school board meetings. And this is not just in Indiana, right? This is across, across the country. And the school board members shut them down when they start reading it because it violates their standards of decency for the school board meetings. Let's talk about the legislation that makes it possible for that kind of smut to be educational when it's in the school and obscene when it's in the school board meeting. Yeah, so essentially once Kinsey wrote his books, Sexual Behavior in the Human Male and Sexual Behavior in the Human Female in 1948 and 53, then um, that went out across the globe, essentially. And so what happened is, is they targeted our laws. They took us from common law to the model penal code, which is what we operate on now, um, especially for the sex crimes uh, for women and children. And so in so doing, there were 43 states that implemented what was, what was called a defense to prosecution for teachers, schools, and, and public libraries under educational purposes to be able to use this pornographic content to sexually groom children. So that is essentially what... We have been fighting here in Indiana. It took us three years to finally remove the defense to prosecution for the schools. And even under a red state, it was a major, major battle. Um, and they still protected the teachers. They still protected the public libraries. And so it begs the question of wonders, what's really driving that decision and that those actions? Because it was very hard to fathom in a red state in a conservative state that we would have had such a battle to protect our kids, but we did. But successfully, we were able the third year around to uh, remove the exemption for the schools. Um, so now the school boards are going to be held responsible for this material that's coming into their into their uh, school corporations, um, and then they're going to have to figure out how to deal with the teachers because many of these teachers have their own humongous libraries inside their classrooms where they're still giving this pornographic content. Um, so now we have to figure out, okay, what what is in those classrooms and go after the school boards for allowing that to remain. Now, I will tell you that we've gotten word that there are many schools in our state that are um, doing the right thing and they're removing this content. So we're very thankful for that. Um, but you can see the the tyrannical ones that are refusing to, to do any... Uh, measures to protect children in their schools. And it begs the question, why, why or why not? Right. Are you, what, what kind of titles should parents be, have their eye out for? So three of the ones, the biggest ones, I would say, let's talk about it. Gender queer, this book is gay, um, and all boys aren't blue. Those are some of the biggest books um, that they should be looking out for. We compiled a list of 13 books um, that I'll put up on our website. I have not done that yet, that we uncovered last year. There was the tip of iceberg um, that really forced it over because we were finding a lot of, of picture books um, that were being given to middle schoolers and even high schoolers. And if you go to the public library, any child can pick these books out. It doesn't they don't have to be, a, you know, young adults or teen section. Any child can go get them. So um, I will be putting that up on our website so that people have access to the, the 13 books that we analyzed last year. Okay. And tell everybody what that website is so they can go. Because I know you have a ton. Oh, my goodness. You have so much research published there. It's crazy. Yeah. It's purpleforparentsindiana.org under resources. Okay. All right. And we are going to take a break right now. And we're when we come back, I want to also talk about these uh, school-based health clinics that they're trying to push through federal legislation, but down into the states. And we'll talk about your recent victory in that regard, too. So we'll be right back. After this, Rebecca continues her conversation with Rhonda. Hey, America. How tired are you of mainstream corporate media's biased narratives and manipulated news? Their dishonesty and attempts to influence this generation have been exposed. 
put on display for anyone who's even half paying attention. But the New American Magazine has been an honest source of news and commentary for over 50 years. This is your opportunity to receive the stalwart of principled journalism at a deep discount. Picture a beautifully published magazine arriving at your doorstep twice a month, packed with insightful stories written with integrity. It's also available digitally on the New American's mobile app. Get up to speed with intelligent coverage from a freedom perspective. Right now, for a limited time, the New American is available to radio listeners at a 25% discount on a new subscription. Visit thenewamerican.com slash radio25 and receive 25% off. Subscribe today at thenewamerican.com slash radio25. All right, everybody, welcome back. We are talking with Rhonda Miller of Purple for Parents of Indiana, and we are talking about the uh, all of this insane gender confusion that the schools are uh, fomenting within children. Um, and one of the ways that they are doing this is through something called school-based health clinics. And Rhonda, you recently had a very uh, major victory in this regard. Can you want to tell us about that? Yes, we were able to stop a bill that would have essentially opened up all of our schools for the ability to bring these school-based health centers in. And what people don't understand is this is tied to the CDC Whole School, Whole Community, Whole Child Initiative. You can go right to their website. You can watch the video. You can see what they're intending to provide for your children, and it will basically violate parental rights. We already know of cases that that's happening, um, not only in our state, but across the country. And so uh, we were able to shut it down. It came out of uh, the one committee. We were able to um, highlight the fact that this is happening in a broader scale. It's not just Indiana. And when you open these up, um, it provides everything from medical, dental, vision, um, uh, abortions, uh, contraception, uh, transgender services, all of it, um, they're going to be incorporating into the schools when they attach these clinics, either inside or adjacent to the schools. And so I have many, um, many people across the state that are sending me messages and saying, hey, look, our school is now connected with this facility or this facility is coming inside the inside the school to provide all these services for uh, for you know, the, the school, the, the kids themselves, but essentially what it does, Rebecca, is if it, it bleeds out into the community. So the, the government school is now providing all the services for the community. And that's basically what it's about. Um, but we were able to shut it down in appropriations. And we've had two senators that have actually said, you know what, schools should be concentrating on um, education and not um, delving into the medical field. And then uh, one senator in appropriations made the point that, you know, when, when schools start filing Medicaid, which is uh, what the senator who authored the bill, um, essentially what he was after was bringing Medicaid dollars into the school system. So when schools start filing Medicaid, she pointed out that by by federal law, you then have to allow them to file insurance claims too. And so right. then, um, as you know, as your as parents are filling out the the paperwork at the beginning of the school year, they're letting all their insurance information in. And so the schools can send the kids off to these clinics, oftentimes without parents knowing, and then they can start filing insurance claims, and the parents would have no idea. So um, it was a big it was a big victory. But these clinics are very very frightening um, when they get hooked into the school system because there's so much control that they have then, um, and what they're going to be able to do. Well, what was frightening to me, I listened to some of the testimony before that Senate Judiciary Committee, I believe that that was the committee, um, when SB 272, that was the one you just uh, got ousted, which is good. So, um, but a lot of the school administrators were appearing to 
in support of the bill, but they had one um, one caveat. They didn't like the bill required parental involvement that a parent should be present when the minor receives healthcare services. They actually were trying to ex- openly trying to exclude the parents from the care. Yeah, they weren't they weren't hiding it at all. I think it was in the insurance um, insurance committee that we were in. And they they were not hiding it at all. They were being very transparent of what their intent was. They do not want to deal with a, an opt in. Um, they don't want parents involved at all. Now let's talk about opt in, opt out. So when opt in means your child, you have to opt your child into those services. They're automatically opted out, right? To start with, and so they didn't want an opt in because they knew that parents would not. Uh, either see the forms or they would choose not to do it and they wouldn't get their hands on as many people and any, as many kids. Now let's keep in mind that there's a lot of money to be made in the medical field and getting your hands on these children and doing whatever you want with them. Um, and so uh, it was very telling. We were able to clip a video, a sh- snippets of it and release it on our uh, social media site and it's it went viral. Um, people were really waking up to understand um, what was actually taking place. And in fact, the senator who authored the bill actually made the comment at the very end and children are an inconvenience, um, which I don't think that really set well with a lot of a lot of people. So, um, you know, it was, it was it was very eye opening, and we knew what the agenda was. But to have all these medical field people standing up and testifying that they do not want parents involved was was very eye opening. It was eye opening too that that senator who introduced the bill is a Republican. You know, you can't just you don't just trust the R. Don't trust the, no, don't necessarily trust that GOP next to the name, because this is just I mean, and he invoked the uh, Safer Communities Act. He said that that act, which was passed in response to the Uvalde shooting, the first provision in it, it has nothing to do with gun control. The first provision in it is the school based health clinics and funneling that Medicaid money. And when you when you well, we I mean, we know we see the result in the public school. I mean, if they do as good a job with with healthcare as they have with education, who's going to survive, right? Right, and it's it's frightening when you stop and think about it. But I I go back to um, the pharmaceutical lily uh, endowment wing um, and that whole comprehensive counseling initiative because essentially it, lily makes a lot of money um, when kids are on psychotropic drugs, um, and it's not the first time Lily's delved into that. If you go back and do any research on um, MK Ultra, you'll find out that the the CIA actually worked with Lilly to uh, provide the LSD in those mind control LSD experiments. So it is no wonder that Lilly is delving into uh, manipulating children through the social emotional learning programs, which go hand in hand with the whole mental health initiative. Um, It was all, it was all part of it. It would all work together. And so when these clinics are now coming in, they're going to provide all these um, psychologists, you know, psychiatrists and, 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 psychologists and whatnot in the right. schools to provide those services. So then you're going to end up with all these kids on these additional drugs that uh, is really going to screw with them. And then I always bring up Rebecca, when we talk about this, I talk with parents. I'm like, okay, so if your child is, you know, God forbid sent through these, one of these clinics and they're then tagged, what happens right. to their second amendment? Right. Exactly. Because all of the, by the way, all of these psychotropic drugs have a black box warning, which is the, most extreme measure that the FDA can put on a drug other than pulling it from the market. But they have black box warnings specifically saying when a child is on these drugs, they are to be monitored at all time for suicidal ideation. And that's why we see all of these suicides associated with these drugs and people are turning a blind eye to it. 
and the media is not reporting on it, but it's very, very real. Otherwise, we wouldn't have a black box warning. I remember in that testimony in your video, one of the young mothers said that there was a child who came home with an unmarked bag of Zoloft and where her, her parents were astonished. They, did, they had no idea that she was on that antidepressant medication. And when they checked, they found out that the school was also providing her multiple forms of birth control. And that that reproduce. How are there forty eight? I, I think uh, Senator Zay said something about there were there are forty eight school based health clinics already in your state. How how are they there? Well, uh, they are. <laughs> they are. Um, I have one not far from me. One of our local schools actually put a clinic inside the school. Now, in some cases, they're saying that they're for the employees, um, but it won't be long, and they'll be ranching into um, the students if they haven't already. And if, so even in our local community, shortly after that counseling initiative, money went doled out and the training took place. All of a sudden, there's land right across the street from our high school that had been sitting vacant for years. And the next thing you know, something's starting to develop on it. We'll come to find out it's Beacon Health. So Beacon Health put a medical facility right across the street from the high school um, where there's no doubt in my mind they will be working in tandem with the school a community uh, to get access to children for their for their services. Unbelievable, and and who knows what the implications are going to be when the next vaccine mandate comes down the pike, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Wow. This is very, very frightening. Uh, I know there's so much more we could talk about. We are out of time right now, but um, I want to I want to visit with you some more and see what people can do. Remind everyone of your website again so they can get more information and see what they can do on their own home front. Sure. It's purpleforparentsindiana.org. And that is the word for spelled out, not the number four. Purpleforparents.org. Thank you so much, Rhonda. Godspeed. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of the New American Daily. Please visit thenewamerican.com for more truth behind the news. We have lots more interviews and stories and breaking news at thenewamerican.com. We hope you join us again next week for another episode of the New American Daily.